from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 175. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, FreshBooks, and Mission U. My name is Mike Hurley, and it is a pleasure to be joined again by Mr. Jason Snell. Jason Snell, we are back to the regularly expected programming after a great holiday season. It's good to be back, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. I we think we've had some great shows over the last few weeks. I've been very happy with uh, how the holidays panned out for the Upgrade podcast. We were talking before the show. We're already thinking about summer of fun. We have like a whole yeah, thing. But Mike, nobody cares about that right now because oh. it's time for hashtag Snell Talk. See what I did there? I do no, see what you did rules. there. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Today's uh, Snell Talk question comes from Ian, and Ian asks... Jason, do you use the dark menu bar and dock on your Mac? No. I figured you wouldn't. <laughs> but if anything was going to convince you, it would be the Space Gray iMac Pro. Because there's like a match there. No, no, no. The reason is the reason is the same reason that I don't use it anyway, which is I actually kind of would like to use it. My I usually keep my office kind of dark. Um, I would I would love a dark theme for Mac OS. The dark menu bar is not a dark theme. It's not enough. That's the problem. It? It's not enough. It, it looks out of place. Yeah, like it, the okay. Oh, hey, we colored the menu bar. Um, but what about all the windows? And do other apps have the ability? Some apps have a dark mode. Most do not. You see, I just turned it on and. Every other thing on my desktop uses the same coloring as the regular menu bar, right? Uh-huh. Like all of the Chrome and all of the apps, right? So like my uh, C app, Skype, uh, Chrome, it's all the same. Like Finder, even Finder doesn't change, right? Like nothing changes. It just now looks weird. So I agree. It would be nice, I think, to use to have a darker theme, but they just yeah. it doesn't extend yeah. past those two things, which is kind of strange. I want a real, I want a real dark theme. I want a an empty Safari window in dark mode to come up black instead of white. Um, I want the Finder windows to be to be dark, right? I want I want a real dark mode if they want to do a dark mode, one that that is minimizing the amount of really bright white stuff that happens everywhere. But the menu bar and the dock, it's just it's not enough. I don't like how it looks. It seems out of place. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's my reasoning. Is not that I wouldn't consider doing something like that. It's like I don't like the um, partial measures of the what's currently in macOS. And they introduced that a few years ago, and they've just done nothing with it. it I, I was really hoping they would just say, "Okay, developers, here's how you sense whether you're in dark mode or not, and here's how we implemented it in the Finder and all that." And nah, they just nah, didn't bother. You know, Logic Logic's got a great dark mode. Like Logic Pro Ten is dark mode, and yep. it's fine. And Final Cut. Yeah, exactly right. They're they're how much blacker could they be? None more black. But the rest of the system just doesn't do that, and I don't like, um, I don't like the piecemeal aspect of it. So that's that's why no. Um, you're right. It would be, I guess, extra nice on the darker, uh, darker silver of the iMac Pro versus the lighter silver of the iMac. But alas, we are going to be talking about the iMac Pro today. Before we do that, mm-hmm. we do have some follow up. But I will say, if you have a uh, question to open the show, just send a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk, and we will pick for pick them for later episodes. Thank you so much to IM for their suggestion. Um, I just wanted to thank everybody uh, for their great comments about the upgradees. Um, 
I had a great time putting the upgrades together as we do every year. Um, <laughs> and I'm already thinking about what big and wonderful things we're going to do for the upgrades next year. Um, and I feel, I feel vindicated. I feel satisfied. Um, if you go to, uh, Macintosh.fm slash about, which is the about page for welcome to Macintosh. Uh, Mark has put a winner of the 2017 Best Tech Podcast Upgrady Award right there on the page. I love to see that. I want to see more of that over the internet, the acknowledgement of the Upgradies. I think Canis did that with yep, uh, Fairrite. I think there's a, at the bottom, yep, at the the bottom of one. the Fairrite product page mm-hmm. is the 2015 Upgradies uh, symbol. So yeah, that's yep. right. Market, market this thing, people. We need it. We need, we need it. So then people will care more and more about it. We know you care. We need the whole world to care. Ah, because that's <laughs> what that's the path to real trophies. <laughs> I want to do real trophies, mm-hmm. but uh, we need to see that people actually want to receive them first. So there you go. Yeah, that is, that is true. A lot of stuff has happened uh, in what is usually the quietest time of the year, hence why we create <laughs> episodes like the Upgrade is in the Holiday Christmas Special. Uh, we had some huge news in regards to iPhone batteries and Intel CPUs. Most of this stuff is taken care of now. Um, they're really long-winded topics, and there are better places that have been discussed even by Jason. So if you want to hear more about Jason's thoughts on the iPhone battery scandal situation... I don't know any other type of word to describe it. I was on this um, kind of obscure podcast. Most people haven't heard of it. It's lesser known. Very good, but lesser yeah. known. Well, it's hosted by kind of a a blogger who... Um, An enthusiast. Has been, you know, he... Yeah, <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's a, it's a enthusiast blogger, John yeah. Gruber, and his 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 strangely named podcast, The Talk Show. Um. <laughs> anyway, I was on there on the 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 penultimate episode of twenty eighty seventeen mm-hmm. because they had the star the Star Wars holiday special basically on the on New Year's Eve. So on the on the December thirtieth episode, um, episode two ten of the Talk Show, Very John and I talked about the battery stuff in great detail i yeah you know i'm very happy sometimes you say things on the talk show and um and then like a week later somebody very angry who only listens to the talk show and doesn't know who you are or what else you do uh appears and says you made a misstatement here that shows that you know nothing about apple you should learn about apple and like okay Thanks. Uh, this time, though, I'm actually I'm 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 extra happy with what we did because I I, th- I feel like we broke it down in to all of its component parts, all of the issues, the places where Apple is complicit, the places where Apple was trying to do the right thing. You know what? Ha- you know I, I think it's a good one. So people should check that out if they have not heard the talk show uh, number two ten. The episodes that you two are on together tend to be my favorites. Um, it was a very good one. So there's a lot there, a lot oh, of information nice. there. Also, we didn't talk about baseball or, or keyboards almost at all, which, which is, is shocking. That was a surprise. A- after we got to about two and a half hours, I almost mentioned baseball. And I thought, I'm not going to do that because we'll be here another hour and a half. And uh, mm-hmm. so I waited until we were done recording and then I then I mentioned baseball. <laughs> and we did talk for another half hour, but it wasn't part of the show. So th- you're welcome, people who don't want to hear us talk about baseball. Then there is this whole Intel CPU thing, uh, the Meltdown and the Spectre. Uh, ATP episode 255 and download episode 36 for further information about that. 
Yes. Uh, I'm really pleased that we did not have to speak about this thing specifically because I listened to the episode of ATP and I think my brain leaked out of my ears. I do not understand it. I go to learn about processor architectures from John Syracuse because yeah. he's a fan like you know like John doesn't drive a uh, a sports car but he reads all the car yep. magazines he's also a fan of processors that doesn't get them and bless him so I like to I, I that was a good that was a good episode and we did talk about it on yeah, I, I don't th- this is just one of those things that's pretty low level that I just it just doesn't compute with me um like the CPUs aren't computing anymore. So you can go find out about that information too if you want to. So I think we should now get into regular programming and I want right. to discuss some media news. Um, I, I like this this ongoing segment that we have now. I have yet to brand this segment, so I'll work on that. We'll, we'll come up with something. I can do a little tiny bit of follow-out here too just to plug. If people like us talking about the future of of streaming media and things like that. We did a really nice episode. I'm very happy with it. Um, December 21st on download called let Deadpool be Deadpool. But it is, uh, uh, Julia Alexander from Polygon and Natalie Jarvie from the Hollywood reporter. And we basically talked the whole hour about what like the Disney Fox merger would mean for streaming. And I'm really happy with how that turned out. So people like us talking about this, they should check out that episode. And I'm hoping to have them on again to talk about it in the future, because I think it's a very interesting topic, whatever we call it here. Um, So David Letman on Netflix, Uh, the show is called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a couple of reasons I wanted to bring this up. One is that I know that you love David Letterman. Uh, I do. The other is the fact that this is really interesting from the way that this show is going to be distributed it's monthly yep. one episode at a time which is very strange for netflix yeah they um they made this announcement that they were doing a uh, a deal with letterman to do these specials and the way they described it is that they that he was going to do a series of specials um and it, the way it was going to drop was not described. And I kind of figured that they might do a, you know, here are three episodes or here are six episodes kind of thing, because it's very Netflix. Yeah, yeah. But what they're doing is, there is a precedent for this. They're doing what they did with Chelsea Handler's talk show, which dropped, it was a, you know, their, their foray into like, we're going to do a talk show. And they dropped those, or kind of a talk show, sort of. But uh, they dropped those regularly, not... Um, in a binge all at right? once yeah and i i think netflix likes experimenting with this they for originals they prefer not to do this they really prefer binging although in the u in the uk and the rest of the world you see that you see weekly netflix releases a lot from mostly american television shows that get picked mm-hmm. up picked up like um uh, a show like The Good Place is on in a bunch of countries yep. on Netflix, even though it's on NBC here. We get Jane the Virgin that way, too. Right. And Star Trek Dis- Discovery actually works that way, too, although that's be- that's yep. being released weekly in the U.S. And Netflix is not waiting until the seasons are over to drop those. They're dropping them weekly. So, But, you know, in the U.S., I will tell you, if Netflix has any control over it, they, they vastly prefer to drop in a binge. Um, and they do with, uh, like, even uh, there's a sci-fi show I really like called Travel which is from a network called showcase in canada and netflix i believe runs it everywhere else in the world and they wait for the season to end 
like the all the episodes run in Canada or almost all the episodes run in Canada. My understanding is that the first season they dropped it with two episodes to go and everybody in Canada freaked out because they were being spoiled on the ending by everybody who was binging it in the US. They didn't do that this oh, year. Wow. I think I think they learned their lesson this year. But that this is an example where Netflix would rather drop it as a bingeable set um even when in another country uh it's it's uh doing weekly but it's really only in the u.s that they're doing that so anyway letterman it sounds like what they thought was best he thought was best uh was to deliver these things monthly and when you think that letterman used to do four or five shows a week um to do a monthly thing i don't know that sounds like a much more reasonable approach in terms of production in terms of recording to sort of say we got a pace going uh, you know we're going to release these things monthly um they become kind of more events that way but they're but there's still a pace to them so i like i like that idea but it is kind of unusual for netflix that it's rather than having a season of david letterman specials drop in july they're going to run you know one a month and the thing that really surprised me was they announced this last week and the first episode drops Friday. So this is also not a David Letterman, here's the name of his show, he'll be here in March. It's He will be here January 12th. So uh, that was surprising too. So I guess uh, off, off we go. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, a guy who doesn't need to work essentially, uh, other than I, I think emotionally he needs to work, but <laughs> monetarily he doesn't need to work, doing something that uh uses his skills and strikes his fancy without n- without needing the grind and then using 30 years of knowledge of doing interviews and doing a tv show and like what do you do the same and what do you do differently so i'm, I'm kind of fascinated to see um what he does he did a, a sort of half of a national geographic special last year where he went to india and i thought it was pretty great i thought he i, I thought it was a a nice mixture of kind of documentary and also his dumb jokes so uh yeah i'm looking forward to so the first episode is january 12th with barack obama yeah first <laughs> <laughs> First extended post-presidential interview with Barack Obama. And then the way that it works is it's not just an interview. Like, there are supposedly related, like, there's some man-on-the-street stuff, because Letterman always used to like doing that, and there's some related bits. So that'll be kind of interesting, too, to see how it comes together, that it's not just like a Barbara Walters special where it's a sit-down with famous people, but mm-hmm. it's also got some other other stuff. So I'm kind of fascinated by how they're doing that. And I noticed the Jerry Seinfeld show is now... They made a deal with with him. Netflix yeah, did to I'm so move frustrated to move from Crackle to Netflix. So that that's happening too. So Netflix is definitely experimenting with uh, more of this stuff too. So I love love comedians and cars getting coffee. It's mm-hmm. fan- I, fantastic. It's one of my favorite things that I found in years. I I watched the whole thing relatively recently. Like I'd seen episodes here and there, but I watched all of it. But on Netflix, there are like there are like twelve seasons of the show. They've broken them down into collections. Yeah, and the cups of it's coffee. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. The way that they're doing it, because they've mixed them all up. Yeah. that it, It's like all over the place. So it's, it's a bit weird. They've remixed them. It looks like they had to had to re-edit them and stuff, because they had like, they, they were all presented by Acura before, but now yep. on Netflix they're not. So they had to drop them as sort of like, they're like re-edited or at least somewhat modified versions. Um, I did, I did laugh because they are not seasons. They're like cups of coffee. Yeah. And, Late night espresso just made a fresh pot, light and sweet. And here's, cup. here's the wacky thing. 
I was thinking about this from a programming standpoint. You know how normally they, in their interface, it'll it'll show like S two E three season two episode three. For comedians and cars getting coffee, it says C one E four for cups because they're calling them collections. That it's four collections. The <laughs> yeah. coffee and cups. It's just like it's uh, bizarre. It's like yeah, I don't I don't know what they're doing there. But but I'm because they're I, doing another season. So what do they do with that one? Where do those episodes? Well, go? that that'll be yeah, frustrating. Collection five, coffee cup five, <sighs> season five. I don't know, but. Anyway, Netflix continues to do interesting things as they spend a whole lot of money uh, on content. A whole lot of money. Billions. Amazon are planning to bid for Premier League football games. Mm. So this is a pretty big deal uh, for the UK market. So they're looking to buy up a portion of them, which costs billions, right? But like they will just be buying a selection of games. Um, it potentially is 20, 32, something like that. It is unknown right now, um, but this would be a big thing for them. I, I believe that Amazon bought some NFL games. Yeah, and it's I don't weird. Know how that went because they're like rebroadcast. So if you they're they're games that are on television. They're not they're not oh, um, okay. exclusive, but they got the streaming rights basically. Which I think it was it was an experiment. Um, the this is interesting. In the U.S., if you get NPC Sports Network, you basically get all of the Premier League games. You can stream the ones that aren't aired. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But in the U.K., my understanding is it's much if you've got a team that you watch and they're, it's harder to um, to get their games because you may, you may need to sign up for a bunch of different services. Yes, it started to change in the last few years. It used to be just Sky mostly had them or the terrestrial channels. So you either had you had some of them for free. If you wanted all of them, you got Sky. Then uh, BT, the the telecommunications company, they started buying some of it as they created their own uh, TV and sports channels. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in the last couple, I think maybe last year, BT and Sky actually shared their channels with their subscribers after being at war for multiple years. Uh-huh. And the belief is because companies like Amazon are moving in. Yeah. So now, because what will happen if Amazon buy these games, the only places you will see those specific games are on Amazon Prime. They will mm-hmm. be nowhere else. Yep. So this is a pretty big move from Amazon into the UK sports market. Premier League football is worth a lot, a lot of money. It is. It's very, very lucrative and therefore very, very expensive. Right? Like if the, from Bloomberg, like if it's right, you know, what they're saying that you could be looking at like multiple millions if not billions just for a small subset of the matches it's worth a lot of money right, the so, net uh rights sale in 2015 with all of the different rights purchasers rolled together was more than five billion pounds which is almost seven billion dollars yeah it's huge and this is every year right like that is yearly uh so it is it is a huge market for sports in the uk i think that's three years worth that they bought for that okay. but it's, it's still okay. it's billions a year um yep. and amazon it, it sounds like since they're likely to bid for a smaller package it sounds interesting um that seems like their nfl strategy here which is let's try it out yeah they want to see if it actually does anything like do people just miss the games or do they right. sign up Right, but yeah, but they they might do that down the road, and I, I yep. thought about this with the NFL too. That they're trying this now to see how they how it goes, but you know because otherwise, if they want to buy a, an exclusive package of NFL games, there aren't that many of those, and they it will cost them a huge amount of money. Um, so 
try it out with something cheaper basically but it is it, it is interesting um and we're going to see more of this i have a whole tangent i'm actually going to write at some point um we had the college football national championship game last night and the, the a bunch of the bowl games earlier uh on new year's day put out by espn here in the u.s and they tried this um multicast format where they had a bunch of different versions of the same game live on a bunch of their channels and then more versions like you could get one with wow. the home radio announcers overlaid over the espn telecast or you could get coaches analyzing what was going on on the field a whole bunch or just one Don't where they do it was some of that like top down stuff yeah as they well. do the all all yeah. 22 where you can see the whole field uh, like you're a coach watching um the game film uh they have the one from the little sky cam that's on a cable there's a whole channel of just you're floating over the field it's you know a lot of it's not watchable but it's interesting the the my point here is live sports this is a computer nerd thing, believe it or not, even though I'm talking about live sports. Live sports is way harder to do than streaming video. Like net, what Netflix does, Netflix has a CDN, a content delivery network, and they put the files all over the internet so that you can get them quickly. Um, when HBO comes out with Game of Thrones... It's got that file on its CDN all over the place. And so, one, you know, it, it is prepped for streaming and that's one of the ways you avoid crashing your service when you have an episode a new episode of game of thrones is that you've got it prepped and i was talking to somebody about we talk about how bam tech which was previously major league baseball's streaming service and now or streaming tech spinoff and was uh majority owned by disney now um and how good they were and then somebody said well bam tech does espn and the espn live streams were a mess um and they were that was on new year's day and they were a mess last night as well apparently and here's the thing live sports is hard because you can't take a yep. pre-encoded file and distribute it to your cdn it's a totally different infrastructure if the content is being um, created and encoded and distributed on the fly and it's harder to do that so that's also part of the test i think of amazon doing some live sports is that they have to change their infrastructure to do live tv um amazon actually did a live event on new year's day here in the u.s they had will ferrell and molly shannon in character do the um pasadena uh rose parade as a kind of a parody yet also a real live coverage of the tournament of roses parade (laughs) um and again where did that deal come from that's totally bizarre but the live thing i think the the short version of this is live is different and amazon is really interested in experimenting with live and it could potentially change the game because there's a lot of stuff on traditional tv especially sports that happens live but also like award shows and other events like that and streaming that's been one of the traditional kind of like bulwarks against erosion of television by cable companies and by tv channels is well live live stuff stuff is harder Um, it's like, and, oh, you can't do that. They can't and, do that. You know, so this is, yeah, wouldn't it be something? And it might, the truth is, it might be more convenient um, for the, yep. depending on what the package is, it might be more convenient for UK people who like soccer to uh, get stream streaming Amazon stuff than to have to navigate all the other stuff. But I don't know. It depends. Breaking up the rights makes it a lot harder. We have it way easier. Premier League's way easier to watch in the US than it is in the UK. Yeah, because you just get it because all. Because right? fewer people yeah. care about it here. So, it, it mm-hmm. want, so NBC was able to just buy it lock, stock, and barrel. Um, YouTube is off of the Fire TV now. So Amazon is promoting that people watch it via web browsers. 
they just shipped their own web browser, Silk, onto the Fire TV, probably for this purpose. And they're also promoting Firefox as how you can watch YouTube. And then within the last couple of days, another shoe has dropped in this, dropped in this fight, which is that Google have announced partnerships with a bunch of companies, including JBL, Lenovo, LG, and Sony, for their assistant screen smart display. So they have a bunch of products that have a screen on them, and they have created a new interface for Google Assistant, which includes YouTube. So, of course, there's another part of it. They had it. They had a thing that they were working on. So the fact that their agreement wasn't that great with Amazon, they don't care because it's going to help sell some products that they're affiliated with. This is a similar story. I mean, I mentioned something like this, which is where does this arms race go next? Because YouTube works in web browsers, and if Amazon just puts YouTube in a web browser and says, "Hey, we're a web browser," does YouTube start selectively blocking web browsers of companies they don't like? That seems like it's a it's a, a bridge too far to me yep so maybe this is it or maybe the arms race will continue yeah it's a i think it would be especially difficult for them to just be like no firefox right like i feel like they'll like, end up as like collateral damage in this so yeah, yeah it's it continues to move on and i think it's just kicked up a gear now that uh <laughs> Google are making their own products. It's sure. really wild. All right. Today's show is brought to you in part by a new sponsor, and that is Mission U. Mission U is a one-year program that gives you the skills and experience needed to launch a successful career in data analytics and just about every other 21st century career. They have a student-centered approach. Mission U proved this with no upfront tuition costs or high-risk loans. They partner with companies like Spotify, Lyft, and Warby Parker to provide students like you with invaluable work experience. The Mission U program is perfect for go-getters who are determined to make their career a success. If you think that that could be for you, your new career-focused schedule will look a little something like this. In the first trimester, you focus on developing skills like collaboration, critical thinking, and communication. In trimester two, you work on technical skills, and then to wrap things up, you'll get valuable internship experience. Overall, with Mission U, you're looking at about 80% live virtual classroom sessions and 20% bi-weekly meetups with networking and skill development. Here's how application works. There are no standardized test scores, no GPAs, they just want to know about you. You take a short quiz to show your problem-solving abilities, complete a 45-minute team-based challenge, and then meet with a member of the Mission U team for an individual interview. This is the first step towards a resume of relevant experience and a debt-free future. To learn more about Mission U and to earn $500 upon completion of the full-year program, go to missionu.com upgrade. That is $500 upon the completion of the full-year program. Head there to learn more and see what your next career could be. That is missionu.com, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-U.com slash upgrade. Thank you to Mission U for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we spoke about the fact that you were ordering it. It has arrived. We spent time with it. The iMac Pro. Yeah, it arrived on Boxing Day, Mike. What a great day to unbox a computer. Unboxing day. You have an extra box. I think so. It's the it was best not, day. Not quite a Christmas present, but close. And then the... Uh, Believe it or not, the, the understood uh, history of Boxing Day is when we take our new computers out of their boxes. That's what it means. Since that's it's been, been that way long, since like the 17th century. It's funny, really, when you think about it. But yeah, that is the, the understood... Yes, uh, back when computers uh, yeah. met a person who did math, they would get in the box... They would take it to, to the university. They'd open the box and surprise somebody with a computer's inside and the computer would jump out of the box and say, boo. You know, Jason, 
I just learned about this because Did you? Uh, for analog, we are now watching. Uh, we finished Firefly, and we are watching right, right. Uh, Crash Course Computer Science. Right. And we just did the first episode, which is about early computers. And I found out that the first computers were people. That's really which is they were. hilarious. So That's where the word came from. Go. It was a person who computed things. Hello, computer. Turns out. And the computer would say, hey, what's going on? How can I help? Mm-hmm. Do you need some math? Yeah. All right. So before we get into talking about this thing, uh, I want to do a specs recap of your model, just so we can frame it. So you got the base uh, model. $4,999 base model. Yep, the cheap. I went cheap, Mike. I went cheap. I you cheaped, went cheap. I cheaped you, out. You went to the thrift store with this <laughs> I, one. I, I did, that's uh, it. It was it a little tag on the side that said, <laughs> cheap, $49.99. Cheap. <laughs> Only. Uh, you got the 8-core Xeon, 32GB of RAM, and a 1TB SSD. Yeah, so, I did. I will ask you, you've been using it for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Are there any, would you change any of those specs? Would be my first question to you. <laughs> Is there anything in there that you're like, a little bit of buyer's remorse, like I wish I would have got this instead? No. No, I mean, no, I, I've heard people say that the 10 core, Marco will tell you, the 10 core is maybe the sweet spot because it's got a little bit better uh, of the turbo boost, which is the sort of single core performance. This, in in my tests... The single core, if you're working on something that is not multi-threaded at all, it's it's essentially the same speed as my old i7 um, from 2014. Okay. Like, single core, and the 10 core is a little bit faster. So, I mean, a, a spoiler alert for my review, which might come out this week in Macworld, is if all you do is single core stuff, why would you buy one of these? That's the whole, the whole point is these are good right. at multi-core. As a single core processor, it's fine. It's, it's, it's like a 5K iMac. It's fast. But um, it, the point is that it's got so many of these cores. So I thought about the 10 core, but, but I was on Leo Laporte's uh, screensaver show over the weekend, and he has the 10 core because Rene Ritchie talked him into it. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, 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 he ended up spending like an extra two grand putting features in it. And for me, I could only barely justify the forty nine ninety nine. In fact, what I would say is, I probably don't need thirty two gigs of RAM. If they would have let me take sixteen and knock some money off the price, maybe that would have been my preference. But I am very happy about the having lots of RAM, and I am very happy about having more um, storage because I had the five twelve SSD in my five K iMac. And having a little bit more elbow room with the one terabyte is really nice. So I'm pretty happy with it as is. I guess my only other regret would be that I probably should have bought the mouse too, because everybody wants space gray peripherals. And if I had bought the mouse, (laughs) I could have sold that to somebody. (laughs) Get some money back. For the record, I sold my keyboard to John Syracuse for the cost of that keyboard in normal silver. You um, fool. And shipping. You fool. Because he is a friend. Hmm. Could have sold it on eBay for a, a billion dollars. Um, I had to just look up. I have 16 gigabytes of RAM in my iMac, and I I don't think I need more than that. Like I don't. Well, the, this is I the don't thing. know if I ever feel it. I don't the, even know why I would need 32 the, gigabytes. The story of RAM so far for. in the chat room says, "LOL." First time I've heard someone want less RAM. My, I guess my point is that I can look an activity monitor. I see when we're um, when we're hitting when we're swapping RAM to disk, and it never happens. And it basically never happened in my old computer. I am not doing things that are super heavy 
uh, consumers of RAM. I mean, the 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 GPU in here is totally overkill for me too. Um, I ran a, a GPU benchmark last night that is one of these tests that we used in Macworld for years and it runs on my 5k iMac at in the highest resolution highest quality it runs at like 12 frames a second and it's at like 100 degrees c when it's doing it and the fan is blowing loudly and i ran that on this iMac pro with that uh the vega card in it and it was doing like 35 frames a second easy and it was not even running that hot (laughs) so again probably overkill for what i am using this thing for but that's that's the deal with this computer is they've decided to not really skimp on the base specs and i think the reason is like if if you start to look at it and say well do i need eight cores do i need 32 gigs of ram do i need a terabyte ssd that's when somebody comes to you and says let me show you the 5k imac (laughs) like we have a very powerful computer that you can spec up to four thousand dollars and have all of this stuff in it and it won't be quite what this is but you don't need this right like i i I do feel like apple is drawing a a divider here because they do have a very powerful imac that is not the imac pro that uh so if you want less than this there is a computer for you it is not this with fewer specs in it so the base model for me is really nice because it's like would i have splurged for 32 would i have splurged for a terabyte ssd Ah, probably not maybe but um i had no choice so Oh, well, I'll have to live with 32 gigs of RAM. All right. So you didn't buy this computer because it was space gray. I did not. Uh, you you that would didn't be a, buy this that would computer. That would be a terrible reason to buy this Some computer. Some people will. Some people will. You didn't buy this computer for another reason, which is this is the best Mac you can buy right now, right? Like, there are, you know, there, there yeah. are many reasons that people buy a computer. You bought yours for speed and for I efficiency did. and for processing. I did. So, proofs in the pudding. Yes. What are the actual speed differences like? So I, most of my tests are versus my 2014 iMac uh, 5K, which they have revved several times. There is a 2017 model. Stephen Hackett had the, and I, and I had the i7, so the faster processor and actually the faster GPU. Um, Stephen Hackett bought the new momentarily i7 of the 5k <laughs> iMac and then he returned it and bought an iMac Pro but while he had it i had him run some of the same tests i ran so i could oh, compare good. it i could compare it to a current iMac that because good. i don't have I the wherewithal of mac that. world anymore where i have yeah. every mac that i can survey before <laughs> me and i can compare mm-hmm. them all i am now on my own and i bought a, i bought an iMac uh, to when I when I started out and have kept it, and so that's my reference system. Um, so I did I did a bunch of tests using real things I do. That was important to me. In the end, I did run a, a couple of other kind of benchmark stuff like Geekbench and and, uh, and one of these three D tests. But I tried that's to pointless. Uh, yeah, but right. For, like you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I can I can sign it? off and say yes, it's faster, which we already knew. But I tried a bunch of stuff. So I tried a bunch of podcast stuff and a little bit of video stuff. Because the reason I bought this is for podcast stuff. That a huge part of my podcast workflow, prep workflow, because I do so many podcasts with people who do not have pristine audio environments because they're just people like me recording a I podcast. A Your environment. the mega office environment is entirely pristine. I there mm-hmm. are there are a few people I know. I don't need to denoise their audio file. I'm in like a podcast clean room here yes you, you are know? you are you are wearing a a uh, it's not a clean suit it's a silent suit silent just, suit you zip yep. it up 
silently with the microphone inside and, and then that's there's it. nothing yeah exactly but most people instead have their computer fan blowing and a heater going and somebody's jackhammering outside well the jackhammer it's hard to take out but like i get these i get these files and i can look at them in, in the program i use to denoise them which is isotope rx6 um and it actually shows you like a big orange stripe that is like, oh, that's the heater or that's where the air conditioning came on or whatever. And this is these are the environments people are in. And uh, I want everybody to sound as good as they can, because what ends up happening is you're listening to a podcast and one person talks and suddenly there's a hum. And then when they stop talking, the hum goes away. It's really and, and there's, you know, hissing in the background and stuff. It's really disconcerting. So I denoise these files. And that is a. Uh, there's an amazing plugin in Isotope that does this, uh, and it is multi-core, multi-threaded. It will use as many processor cores as you can give it. Um, so I used that. I, I did some encoding of video, which tends to peg the processor. I used a couple of tools by Marco Arment, because Marco is obsessed with filling the processor cores to their fullest, too. So I used Sidetrack and Forecast. Um, I did uh, a bunch of stuff, and... The reality is that the iMac Pro can do all that stuff in half the time as my um, old iMac. And I would say in 60% of the time as the 2017 iMac that uh, Stephen Hackett had. So it's 40% faster than Somewhere, that one, but uh, Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, okay. okay. There's a... the the, the you could say that. I, I would say it does it in 60% of the time because there's a great debate about it. But yes, you would say that okay. you, you, you could say that one, that it's twice as fast as my old iMac for these tasks and a little less than twice as fast. Like a third? You, like a th- you know, at least I, you could I, say like it's a third faster. This is the problem is there's as fast as and there's faster than yeah, and it's I I, and I get angry letters when I when I phrase it a certain way. But the, but the bottom line is, say, it is there is a significant speed increase no matter well, what you're coming from. Well, a denoise right? of a three hour long file took yep. a minute thirty four on my old iMac. It took 86 seconds, so a little bit less, on Stephen Hackett's iMac, and 49 seconds on the iMac Pro. And that's consistent across all of the other things I did. Uh, You know, a handbrake decode that took uh, 1,270 seconds on... uh, to encode a 1080p on my uh on my old iMac 1276 and 674 on the iMac Pro and in between 1095 on Stephen Hackett's iMac so it's faster but not nearly as fast as the iMac Pro and and this is just this is consistent for for stuff that's really multi-threaded the iMac Pro is even the base model is incredibly fast this is not one of those like you could see it in these numbers it, between 2014 when I bought my iMac and 2017 Stephen Hackett's iMac that he bought before he returned it there was definitely a speed boost the the iMac got a better screen it got faster SSD and it got faster processors that all said, the speed difference there was, you know, an improvement of, what, uh, 30 seconds in my spectral denoise test. Um, and the difference between that iMac and my um, iMac Pro is another, like, 40-plus seconds. 
on that one test. So this is a much larger jump in performance than a normal like iMac update would be. So that's four years. Four years of iMac improvements do not match the difference between the current mm-hmm. iMac and the iMac Pro. It's it, it is a you know, and that's what you're going for here is you want a leap in performance to pay a leap in price tag, and it's there. It's real. All right. So look, I'm just asking you questions here. I'm not, I'm not trying to like uh, purchase shame you, but oh no, I want to. You know, I have so no. Like, I, I if you had gotten me before I got this, I would be I would have been uh-huh. very vulnerable. But now I've right. used it for but two now weeks. You're good. I'm yeah. I'm I'm okay. <laughs> but let me ask you then, right? So like you know, because I just want to dig into that a little bit more. So some of this stuff. It's it's twice as fast as your previous Mac, right? Like it's doing it in half time. It basically, I by but, spending five thousand dollars, it is twice as fast. But it's saving forty seconds, right? So yes, my question to you is like, on a daily basis, how and if are you feeling that, and how is that worth it? Well, what I would say is that when I'm prepping, see, I don't do one of these when I'm prepping files. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes I'm literally doing seven and they're all three or four hour long audio files. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that I can automate because you actually have to, there is an auto setting, but it's just not as good. You need to find the um, noise and and uh, learn it and then apply it and it removes the noise. So it's a manual process with multiple steps. And this is the problem is if you're doing that with a lot of this and the steps all require you to wait two, three, four, five minutes to get through it. And I didn't even mention like also going on here is that the SSD performance is way faster, which means I can, and honestly, all that RAM, I can open more files at once. I can have multiple files processing or saving at once. And what wow. it means is that this long, Long, slow process to prep a set of files for me or for an outside editor to use used to take like an hour and now it takes like 15 minutes and that's so, that's so it's, cum- it's cumulative it yeah, yeah. Or, okay. or video encoding is a similar thing where i'm sitting down and i need to convert this final cut that came out final cut export that came out of 1080 but it's enormous and i need to do a podcast version which i know i want to be small and 720p and i want a, a 1080 version i can upload to youtube and i don't want to upload the 10 gigabyte version to youtube because i'll be there forever i want to do that that's I, that's a common thing for me um i can run that through handbrake and have it be done quickly and then move on and post them as opposed to what i used to do which is start them in handbrake and leave (laughs) and go do other things maybe go to bed (laughs) come back in the morning and upload them that happened a lot and that was fine i mean the overnight task is a thing that can be useful but it's nicer to have that task be so short that i can just do some other stuff and then come back and it's done um instead of like completely breaking because i know this task is going to take hours so there are two things here that are interesting to me you know one of them a lot of this stuff it's like it's the quality of life for you and your work, right? So, like, you're getting less frustrated. That's it. And then the, That's it. the other thing that I find really interesting is that it's not just the raw power of what this machine can do. It also has a lot more headroom, right? So, like, you're saying, okay, so I save, I save half the time on an individual process, but I can do two times more of those processes than I could do before. So, it's all yes. of that time savings is adding up. So, whilst it's doing it... Like in half the time, you're actually saving 
three quarters of an hour, right? Like, because you're doing more at once, right? Like, the, the, that's really interesting to me. And that I hadn't necessarily considered that. Where the storage comes in is the big one for me with Isotope, where I, I'm opening multiple files. And the mem- and the memory, I think. I think the RAM is a part of that, too. I'm opening multiple files and getting them to process and saving them out. And the my iMac would just... I, I gave up. I would just do one at a time. But on this, I can do yeah. that. And then what that means also is that it's now processing... Yes, it's processing three files at once, four files at once. And it can't really go any faster because it's filling up the processor cores. But what it means is my menial task of starting those processes going has is all done in a block. And then, and then my attention can move elsewhere. And this is one of those things that even if you're only saving a little bit of time, if you can go from a task that is do something and wait, then do something and wait, and then do something and wait, and replace it with do those three things all at once, and then do something else while the waiting happens. That's way better. That's way better because I can turn my attention elsewhere instead of having to just basically sit there and wait it out because I know there's going to be another step along the way in two minutes. Um, and and the added storage, um, the the SSD speed, and I think the the memory too is feeding into that as well. So that that's that was a moment of realization for me because I was like, oh great, it's faster. And then I was like, I wonder if I could just open more files. And the answer is, yep, I can do that. It's fine. It totally works. Um, then again, uh, to get back to the single processor thing. Isotope's D Reverb plugin, which is amazing if you've got somebody in an echoey room, runs on a single processor core, and is it, and it, it it takes me. I tested it against my old iMac within a second of one another doing a D echo, a D, a D Reverb effect, and it's what it makes me want to do is send a um, friendly but somewhat sternly worded email to Isotope saying. Why are all your plugins not better optimized for multiple processor cores, please? But um, the one I use the most is, and that's one of the big reasons why I bought the uh, buy the bought the iMac Pro. So, so that's the important part of the way, in my opinion, right? Which is like the performance of it. Let's talk about the looks. So, I mean, from a visual perspective, the biggest change is the color, and then maybe secondary to that is the holes in the back, right? The vents. Yeah. How do you feel about those two things? I mean, everything else is like, if you like the iMac, you're going to like this one because it's the same. It is so much the same um, that I just, you know, it, it, it's not like my... <laughs> I'm using an, uh, a 27-inch 5K iMac suspended on a, an arm above my desk. It's literally not any different from what I've been using for the last four years. The only difference is that the uh, aluminum is darker. And it's way faster, but like just in terms of the visual of it, um, I a lot of people are very excited about the darker aluminum. I my issue is what my issue always is with this stuff, which is space gray. Seems like an amazing, cool idea, and it is nice to have some variation. But you know, when you got a space gray something next to a a regular something, it really is just a darker shade of silver. Like I mean, it's not and out of context you get used to it really fast. So um, I actually think that's one of the reasons why they do the dark uh, peripherals and everything is like it, it, it extends that um, makes you feel like everything's a little bit Gives different. You something a little bit more it, like my, my yeah. MacBook pro is space gray and I could swear to you that every Mac 
book pro I've ever had was that collar. Exactly. No, I think I right. think there's I think there's truth in that. Um, I think the there's gold truth in one. That. Now my gold MacBook twelve inch. Right. Now that's that's different. That's different. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not right. saying they should make a gold iMac, but you know, don't Can necessarily you roll it out. The oh, iMac Pro was gold. Oh god. <laughs> Oh boy! I would so takes. get it though. The I would takes. so get it. Just like because yeah. get a gold trackpad, my word. Uh, um, no. And you have yours va- mounted on the Vesa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's an extra, unlike the 5K IMAX and the modern IMAX, but exactly like the previous generation model where you could pop off the the stand and put on a little uh, extra purchase mounting bracket that turned it into a visa mountable thing um i'm a pro has that it's it's literally they just brought it back and i don't know why they took it off of the last generation imac and i, I i'm not entirely sure I, I think they brought it back because they know that for a lot of professional applications people do want to put these these things on walls or on arms um and i do too so i was able to do that so you now have i have yours mounted to your desk right yes <laughs> I, anybody want a space gray imac stand no i have to keep it in case i i, I want to convert it later but uh yeah it's just on an arm floating on my mm-hmm. uh the arms clamped to my desk yeah i might do that next time um next time i i get a machine although i was just saying on connected today so i'm just repeating myself now i've been thinking about this jason especially when i was preparing for this episode and i think that then my next computer will probably be a Mac Pro, like Could the be. new Mac Pro. Because for what I want out of a computer, the idea, the perceived idea of what that machine will be as like parts upgradable over time is more appealing to me as I am less interested in cool Mac hardware but want the thing that I can use the best. Like sure. it is the best workhorse for me and over time that might make sense if it is truly upgradable so that's what i've been thinking about but um i wanted to ask because i don't know what is the io like on the imac pro do you get more ports uh there are more ports okay um you have four usb a and four thunderbolt slash usb c so okay um, and that's two controllers on the Thunderbolt. So you've got uh, potentially a lot of really high speed uh, external yeah. stuff on there and okay. lots and lots of ports. It does mean, though, that if you have Thunderbolt peripherals or displays that are external on your existing setup, if you get an iMac Pro, you're going to have to buy some dongles because there's no, you know, there's no. Uh, Thunderbolt that matches mini display board port uh, or if you've got a mini display port or Thunderbolt 2 to VGA or DVI or whatever else you've got like those adapters don't work anymore <laughs> really I mean you may be able to adapt to them <laughs> I don't know don't do it you're gonna have to buy some some Thunderbolt 3 adapters USB-C adapters so um, but they are there's a lot of uh, a lot of IO <laughs> a lot of ports on the back plus um that uh what is it uh 10 gigabit ethernet which is my understanding is it's uh sort of like how gigabit ethernet was back in the day which is esoteric and only for like really high-end applications but if you want basically network storage that feels like local storage um and if you're in something like video or anything that's crunching through huge amounts of data um they want that and that ethernet will let them have it but you know i just have gigabit in my garage so uh, alas the stickers you know it in your uh kind of 
first impressions, the stickers were black. Yes, just like As on the Mac Pro. The poor fools who bought the Mac Pro. I just wanted to mention that they are. I have still have one. I kept one. Oh, nice. Uh, I used one. Kept one. Uh, they were black there too. I had the trash can Mac. It was a tale of woe. Um, mm-hmm. iFixit gave the iMac Pro a three out of ten on repairability. As always, just a beautiful thing to just look through, right? Like, just wonderful images. I wanted to just break down a couple of those things, though, Jason. Um, so from re- looking at the teardown, the RAM and CPU are modular and upgradable. You can do it. Um, the SSD is modular, but it is custom. So you're kind of stuck there. Yeah. Uh, but taking... Well, you know, like it's it's not as not stuck, but it's not. You can't just put anything in it, right? It's, you have to get right so something that fits. What it. You Apple can't has, just get anything. What Apple did with the SSD is they did these um, their their um, NAND modules. They don't have a disk controller on them. The T2 processor, which is the ARM Apple built ARM processor that's inside this thing, it's the disk controller along with the system controller um, it, it, <laughs> and a lot of other things. I wrote a whole article in MacWorld about it, <clears throat> um, but. The uh, so they're NAND chips, so I don't want to say never because history shows us that there are companies out there that will make a great effort to build Apple compatible parts that were were Apple only when they came out, and um, I you know there are a bunch of companies that do that sort of thing, and so. In two years, if you wanted a much larger SSD and an iMac Pro, could somebody pop off the glass on the front and take those chips out and put new chips in? Maybe. I wouldn't recommend that people underspec this thing and then plan on immediately uh, specking it up because it's not, it it is that like complete disassembly to do it. So you should spec this thing. If you're going to buy one with all the Ram you want and all the disc you want, but I'm kind of optimistic that in two or three years, if you decide, well, I really need to refresh this thing and give it more Ram, more SSD, that there will be opportunities to potentially do that. I fix it. Do note that taking this thing apart is incredibly difficult and requires a lot of very careful disassembly. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, you know, Bear this, that in mind. It, it's for a, a repair shop professional, or yeah. an Apple store to take apart, yeah. not for you do, to do. Not it's not you. user. Don't, do not do. Not user upgradable, but upgradable, but just not, you know, you got to leave it to the professionals. And they did note that there is no GPU upgrade possible because of the way that it's like sorted to the board or something. Like right. you, you just won't, you just can't, you can't take it out. So when they talk about it being modular, like with a RAM and a CPU, it means you can take those things out. But yeah. the GPU you cannot remove. So yeah, and the CPU is is removable, but it by all accounts is a custom part being made for Intel for Apple by Intel. Okay. So I think that's one of the same thoughts of like, okay, well maybe in two years or three years when you want That'll a faster one, processor, yeah. maybe you could find one, but probably not. Like don't, again, don't count on it. Um, mm-hmm. But but you never know. Like it, it's possible, but I wouldn't bank on it. So, uh, I guess one other thing. This machine is so powerful and it has a bunch of holes in the back. How often do you hear the fans? So, I don't hear the fan at all. Okay. Unless I stick my ear right up to it. In which case, the fan is running. 
even when you're doing six simultaneous processes of so isotope? Here, here's one of the interesting things. This computer seems to have been designed to run the fan all the time. Okay. And really quietly. You know, it's these two, I think, enormous kind of blowers suck air in uh, up by the by the where the uh, stand connects, and then uh, or blow it out there and suck it in down below. Um, and they've got this whole like all of this space is devoted to that, but it's quiet. It was designed to be quiet. It seems to be designed to basically run all the time. And so when I tested this thing out, and and when I stress it out, the volume doesn't change. If you, it's not to say that there might not be scenarios where it cranks up, but I've not heard them. Um, it, like I said, if you listen carefully in a quiet room and you put your ear close to the computer, you can tell that there is a fan, sort of Syracuse style, if you're that sensitive. But in a normal room environment in my office, I can't tell. I have to, be, I have to go looking for it in order to hear it. But it's the same sound all the time, so it's consistent doesn't you know you're not sitting there doing work and suddenly and the fans blow blow like um like the imac 5k where that absolutely happens um and if i put my hand back there in normal operation i feel air blowing out and it's uh cool air and then when heavy work is going on the air is warmer but that's about it like what's changing is not the sound of the fans showing that this thing is laboring what's changing is the temperature of the air being blown out the back now on a 14 core system where the all the cores are hitting and the gpu is maxed out um does it crank up the fan i don't know how hot is the air coming out of it i don't know but on the base model i tried to max out the, the gpu i certainly maxed out the cpus um, it sounds like the GPU is a bigger issue in terms of power and heat than the CPU, by the way. Like, that GPU is a, you know, it's it's throwing off a lot of heat. I think the thermal, the thermal stuff in the iMac Pro is basically more concerned about the GPU than the CPU. But regardless, I just, I found the fan a non-issue. It's quiet and constant and, uh, it, you know, it's built to to just keep blowing air through the system whether you're taxing it or not and as quietly as possible so um for people who need absolute silence it's i guess not going to work for them but i i don't think that most people will notice or care and the beauty of it is that when it when it um when it's really working hard i still can't hear it it's just it's just keeping on doing what it was doing so i think overall sounds like you really like this machine yeah, it is. Um, I just keep coming back to the disclaimer, which is if you don't know if you want one, you don't want one. Like the iMac, the 5K iMac is a very powerful computer and you can spec it up pretty far. And in terms of single core performance, you're not going to get much of a benefit out of this thing. You're not going to get any benefit out of it versus a new iMac Pro, basically, or a new iMac, 5K iMac. So. Um, in talking to Leo about this last weekend, I mean, he said it and I immediately agreed with him, which is if you know, if this computer's for you and if you don't know, it's not for you. I mean, it really is that simple. Like you need to know when you hear people talk about it, if you're going, Oh my God, I need one now. 
it's for you. Well, otherwise, you're probably good. Because I suspect that the people who know that they're using high-performance stuff that taxes the GPU and taxes the processors across multiple cores, like, I feel like those people know who they are. That... If you're somebody who is just working in a word processor, uh, you really don't need this, right? But if you're somebody... So for me, it was like, oh my god, I have those isotope uh, plugins and the video encoding, and I, they could really benefit from all those cores and the faster SSD and the extra RAM. Like, all right, let's do it. Um, but that was what did it for me. If I was just thinking, you know, I've had my iMac for three years, and maybe I should get a new iMac, then... I would just get a new iMac, new 5K iMac. But I, you know, instead I was thinking about all of this stuff that I've started to do for audio and video. And that was the difference. So it is a really fast Mac. Uh, I like it a lot. Um, It's got some quirks because it's got that T2 processor. So like the startup is different and um, rebooting onto other volumes is a little bit different. Uh, But it's all carefully thought out on Apple's part. It's just different from the previous Mac experience. I suspect that all future Macs will probably have something like the T2 in them and that this will be a new way for Apple to build Macs with this ARM chip doing most of the controller stuff and security stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's I, I like it a lot. And strangely, I'm now running the um, 10.13.3 beta and it feels to me like everything on this iMac got a little bit faster and a little bit better when I went to the 10.13.3 beta. So I feel like it is, this is in, uh, mm-hmm. in Apple uh, dialect, iMac Pro 1.1. <laughs> so this is the first of its name. <laughs> and I suspect that the OS is still, I mean, they're going to be some quirks too because it's brand new and it's got a bunch of stuff that's kind of new like the t2 so um the beta seems to have moved things along the the logic and final cut pro updates that came out are kind of directly addressing this system and have made improvements there and i think there'll be some more of those along the way too but yeah i'm loving it it's great it is like my old imac except for a lot of the hardest um uh in processor intense stuff i do twice as fast so that's not bad All right, let's take a break and thank our friends over at Squarespace for their support of this week's show. Use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create a website for your next idea by giving you all of the tools that you need in their all-in-one platform. You can grab a unique and awesome domain name. You can take advantage of and customize award-winning, beautiful templates that look good across all types of devices. You can take advantage of 24-7 customer support if you need it. They have it right there whenever you need. You can ask some questions. They have great support documents and everything. They've got tons of stuff there. If you need any help, they're there to give you it. If you want to create a blog or a portfolio, it's very simple to do. If you want to create a site for your business, maybe a site for your restaurant, Super simple to go. They have templates that are built just for that if you want to take advantage of them, but you can tweak any template to your heart's content. They even have the ability to add an online store to your Squarespace site, and that is how we sell some merch at Relay FM. We have a store on our Squarespace website, which we also have our blog on as well. It's super simple. We wouldn't want to go and find anyone else. We wouldn't want to buy or build something like that. Squarespace is super simple, it's easy to use, and it's fairly priced as well. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can try it out for free with no credit 
credit card required. Just by going to squarespace.com, you can play around, make sure it's right for you before you sign up. Then when you do, use the offer code UPGRADE to get 10% of your first purchase and show your support for this show. We thank Squarespace for the continued support of UPGRADE and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So with all of the Apple battery stuff, there was a German report uh, from our friend Mark Gurman over at Bloomberg that kind of got lost in the shuffle because it basically happened on the same day. And of course it got covered, but I don't think maybe to the extent that it would have otherwise because the whole battery thing was bigger news, I think. It was actually something that was definitely happening and was affecting people. But there's nothing to speculate about on the battery problem anymore. There is stuff to speculate on a unified app platform between iOS and and macOS. According to people familiar with the matter, in 2018, <laughs> developers will be able to design an app that works on both iOS and macOS, and this may be announced at WWDC this year. So Apple would, in theory, be joining Microsoft and Google as platform vendors that are trying to get their developers to bring mobile apps to the desktop or do write once run anywhere or some variant of that right like microsoft have tried it google have tried it because they're like you can put android apps on uh chrome os computers so what's going on here what are the ramifications of this are we gonna have a truly universal app now do we just buy one app and it's everywhere so um gonna do a little follow-up people if they don't listen to atp all the time listen to episode 254 they did a really great job of covering this story so i want to throw that in there um because i kept nodding as i was cooking dinner listening to them Mm -hmm. um i don't know this is an interesting report right because on one level it's obviously something that is in the works and um people give uh german a lot of guff for some of this stuff where he says it could it could happen this year or it could never happen. And they're like, wow, that's really uh, hedging your bets here. But the problem is, the problem is he's not a prognosticator, right? He knows that people are working on this at Apple. Now the people at Apple don't know if it's going to be approved, if it's going to ship or if they're just trying it out. His leak is telling Mm -hmm. them that Apple is working on it. And so when people are like, Oh, he reported this thing and it didn't happen. He's wrong. doesn't mean he's wrong because he didn't say it would happen. He said, people at Apple are working on this thing and it might, happen but it also might get shut down they might work on this and then some executive at apple looks at it in in march and goes no we're not going to do this this was a bad idea and then that'll be the last we hear about it so up front i wanted to say that this seems he he was very good in this report at disclosing like this may not happen they're working on it but it's unknown whether this will actually happen or when um, and good for him for doing that, because the irresponsible way to do this story is to say, I had somebody tell me they're working on this project. This is what Apple's doing, because you don't know that. You don't know. This is not far enough along that you know that Apple's going to commit to this line of, of thinking. You only know that people are working on it. Maybe they'll commit. Maybe they won't. Is this good or bad for developers? So let, let's assume <sighs> that this is going to happen in some way, right? Like that that there is going to be some kind of new platform. Uh, maybe it's some extension of, of what they use to make photos with. Let's, you know. let's, let's break down why you do this if, if you're, if you're yeah, Apple. Like good, number good one reason point. that you do this if you're Apple is because, well, there's, there's some possibilities here. One of them is you're frustrated that there's so much iOS software and there is so little Mac software. Uh, that would be one reason. And the idea there is we have a thriving platform 
for apps on iOS. And it's not... And then we've got this other platform, and we have no way for those people to write for that platform. They have to work very hard and do something very different to get to the Mac, because the Mac is using yep. a completely different approach than iOS is. So what if we made it that writing apps for the Mac was a lot more like writing apps for iOS? Would that... And there's a real open question there, which is like, would that make any difference? Are the people who are writing iOS apps going to then say, oh... Well, now let's invest some time in bringing those over to the Mac, because it presumably wouldn't be compile once, run everywhere. It would presumably be like you'll still need to do a Mac version, but it will be, you know, you can base it more on the code that you wrote for ios so there's some skepticism there about it uh but i could see that like i mean if anybody who has listened to atp knows like marco as a as an ios developer looks at developing a mac app and is like maybe i'll do a command line app instead right and finally he's done a couple he you know forecast actually has a ui although it's a very stock ui but like there's not a lot of comfort in being a longtime ios developer and looking at the mac even as a as all developers on ios are a mac user like the mac is just a is disconnected from uh, people use the mac to develop on ios but developing on the mac it's like totally a different world so i get that that might be apple's motivation i also kind of think that apple if you look at the big picture apple it doesn't make a lot of sense for apple to have many platforms with many completely different ways of writing software like you'd like the apple platform to feel like a platforms to feel like a family where there's a bunch of stuff that is shared well especially when there already is except for one right like writing for the watch writing for the tv ipad iphone they're all similar they're all similar but not the same you have the mac similar and then mac because mac because of the legacy there so Uh, so this is the question is, would they do that? Do they think people would take advantage of it? And what does that look like? Do they want it to be like, cause one level would be like, I feel this way. I have apps on, <laughs> this is my frustration is I have like great video apps on iOS that'll do picture in picture and they have access to all this content. And on my Mac, I have to use Chrome with flash in it. And then there's no picture-in-picture huh. support huh. to watch videos yeah. on my Mac because they didn't write up, they didn't bother to write a Mac app. They're like, just use our website. But on iOS, they wrote a, a great iOS app. So I understand the appeal of just saying, "Look, the Mac can run iOS apps now." <laughs> like, you want to be in the Mac App Store? Guess what? Check the box, say Mac. It runs. We've done the work. We we you know I don't think that's realistic because like a mouse and a keyboard is not a finger. <laughs> Um, unless they're going to start making touchscreen Macs that all the touchscreen is for is for iOS mode. But I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I don't think having that's a real that's a really weird mixed metaphor. That would be a very different way for Apple to go. So more likely, Apple's going to say, here are the tools. Here's a new development envi- uh, environment for, let's say, the Mac that is much more like the tools you're used to using on iOS. So you've got um, you've got uh, uh, all the the you know the stuff that you would use on iOS. It's like it's basically the same, like with photos, like you mentioned with you that's UX Kit, right? Um, instead of UI Kit, the 
okay, you know, maybe, but you're still requiring those developers to do that extra work. And it's like, is Slack going to do extra work so that they can take their iOS app and move it to the Mac when they've got a Mac app that's just a web instance and it's fine? Is Comcast going to take their video tool and, you know, or their video app with all of those streams? Or are they just going to be like, why would we do extra work? We've got this stupid website that works fine in Flash and we're just going to leave it there until Flash dies in two years. Um, That's, I think it's a real question. Like, if you have to do extra work, do they want to do that to get on the Mac? And maybe some do, and maybe that's good enough. Um, so that's that's possibility one. Possibility two is that this is not about that, that this is about starting a process of doing the next generation app development environment that's got stuff that is neither Mac nor iOS as we know it today, but it's like a new set of frameworks, a new way of developing apps that you can then deploy across all of Apple's platforms. Um, and I feel like when we start talking about this, we come back to the question of what's the future of Apple's OS strategy? Because I feel like it's the same thing, which is, what does Apple do? They've got iOS and Mac. They're very different. They're, they try to bring them together when they can, but they're very different things. And are they just going to, is Apple going to invest in these two different platforms for the long run or are they going to let the mac kind of fade away and focus on ios or are they going to do something that's new that is going to be unifying that's a little like the you know capable of doing desktop macy things and phone in your pocket iphoney things but is a new platform and in the end i'm not sure whether there's a huge difference between evolving ios to be more capable and replacing iOS and Mac with new OS, you you could do either. Um, Apple's going to be strongly motivated to keep all of its app developers who have been working on iOS for a long time and use that. That is a very huge asset of Apple to have those have the App Store and have all the developers who develop for iOS and are familiar with it. So, from a pragmatic standpoint, it seems more likely that they would want to kind of keep evolving iOS and evolving the app development tools. Um, so maybe maybe that's what this is. It's not about getting iOS stuff to run on the Mac, but to kind of like create a new um, set of frameworks that are um, a little more independent and say, this is our next gen, like, just like with Swift being a new language, like this is our next thing that we're doing. And it's not a new OS yet but it is a way for you to write for these different platforms i don't know i think what's fascinating about the story is i don't think there's one clear right answer there's whatever apple may be doing but i i I just when i try to put myself in apple shoes this is hard (laughs) like i don't think there's an obvious solution because if there was apple would be doing that and we would know it right i think it's a set of hard decisions about how do you evolve how do you keep the Mac going? Do you keep the Mac going? How do you evolve iOS? Do you do that? Where are your platforms in five or 10 years? How are apps being developed for them? Um, Because the fact is, there's a huge swath of Apple platform developers now, but almost all of them are iOS developers. And then there's this other platform. Because I see there's like a couple of other reasons to do this, you know, so you started this discussion was like, what what other reasons? You know, like one I see is you have an app store which is mostly a laughing stock in the community, which is the Mac App Store, right? Yeah. But yet you have another app store, which is 
I know it's the only game in town, but it's considered to be pretty good, right? Like, I think people tend to like the iOS App Store. Um, and maybe it would be good if you could try and get some of those people that like that App Store to make applications for the other one as well. Um, and the other thing that I see is if you are developing the tools to the point that they could run on the Mac as well as iOS, right? You're kind of like bridging the gap between them. It could be an interesting way to allow for more powerful iOS apps to exist. You know, like people may push iOS further because this tool also runs on the Mac. So here, here, I mean, I've talked about and written about the idea of doing an iOS laptop or one day doing an iOS desktop. Mm -hmm. And, And like part of the stumbling block there is, you're really going to do that? Like, there's no, there, there, there's no pointing device. You're going to be, are you just going to be keyboard and touch? Are you going to add a pointing device to iOS? That's really weird. If, if Apple starts down a version of this path, what they're telling developers is, look, think about your app in different contexts. Think about it in small screen contexts and large screen contexts. Think about it in context where there's a keyboard like ios developers can do some of that now there's a there's the the big ipad and there's the um iphone se right (laughs) like there's a huge gap between them different sizes different use cases Uh, if you're on iphone 10 it's different all of those things are happening right then there's things that also ios developers have to deal with like is there a keyboard like iOS developers can now say, oh, there's a keyboard. I've got keyboard shortcuts. I sl- this, the, the keyboard on the screen slides away. I've got more room to put other stuff. That's a thing that they could do. Well, you go down this path further and you say, what if there's a pointing device? What if you're on an iMac size screen? And the, the answer for now would be, guess what? You can make an iMac app now. You can make a Mac app. What, what is it on a laptop? What is it on an iMac? What is it with a mouse and a keyboard versus touch? And you're building one app ish that that you're thinking about all these different scenarios that of where it might run across apple's platforms um that opens the door not just for that app to run on the mac but for that app to run on ios in a context that doesn't exist right now like a laptop with a trackpad or an imac shaped ios device with a keyboard and a, and a mouse or a, a trackpad I'm not saying they will do that but like that's that's one of the ramifications of something like this and and that may be the long game for apple is rather than like ripping off the band-aid and saying in two years we're get, we have a new os everybody go to it say we're adding these tools and then we're going to add these tools and we're going to just kind of incrementally push toward the point where it won't matter whether it's a mac or it's running ios because it it's capable of doing either and yep. um and and the apps that you write can run on either in the proper context that's kind of the dream i just i keep coming back to the fact that i'm not sure if i'm a random ios developer maybe they don't need the random ios developers but part of the goal is like if i've got a game on ios and apple says here's some things you can do to make it run on the mac and i look and i'm like well what's the size of the mac audience and does my game really match and it's touch-based and do i really want to change it to be something different Eh. and they just all kind of don't bother but for people committed to apple's platforms i think that is um i think in the end it may be just a sneaky way of getting mac developers to 
um, move to a new, more, you know, modern framework that allows them, allows a transition to happen down the road where Mm -hmm. the Mac is something very different or goes away and is replaced by iOS doing everything the Mac needs to do, which could happen i i kind of see it slightly differently but but similarly like this seems like a logical step to me as the first towards like apple os like the 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 unified os so like it's not ios but it's not mac os either like it's both Right. And that's what I meant by saying that, that I'm, I'm not sure there's much of a difference between saying, will Apple do a new OS that's neither iOS or Mac OS, or will Apple just keep evolving iOS until, until it can do all the things the Mac can do? The answer may be yes, right? <laughs> the answer may be that Apple is not going to, like I said, rip the bandaid off and say, new OS is here, but just here's a new framework. Here's some changes we made to iOS and just keep pushing everything up to the point where the distinctions don't matter anymore. Like I, I don't know if we're going to see this this year, but this certainly feels like a sure thing to me eventually. Like I, I really think that. And and in terms of what what it would mean for users, you know, because we've been talking a lot about from the developer side, my gut feeling is that if this happens at WWDC this year, what it's going to be is we've got a bunch of great new frameworks. We got a new, whole new framework that lets you take apply your knowledge of writing on iOS and and apply it to the Mac. And for Mac developers uh, who are also working on iOS apps, this, this is a great way for you to make your apps uh, more understandable across platform as a developer. Like you can you know there'll be a spiel like that there'll be a sales job of we made a new thing for developers from a user perspective it may be invisible like i think people jumping to assumptions like oh this means ios emulation is happening in the mac or the the, apple's giving up on mac app uh the mac app environment at all and in the future the mac is going to be um 15 pro apps and then otherwise it's just going to run ios apps maybe um i doubt it but maybe I think it's more likely that it's going to be a, a developer announcement about tools that'll be a first version that you'll be able to use uh, experimentally in the fall, but that full support won't really be there for another year. And it'll be a long, slow rollout creeping toward a new thing. I think that's, I just, I think that's more likely from apple they they surprise us but that feels the most likely to me is that they'll just say good news everyone we're finally going to make it so that either mac people can use a lot of the same concepts as ios people or that uh we have a new thing that you can use for both um which again may be pretty much the same thing depending it's better in abc ways yeah, yeah, I and mean, that's and and the big sell, selling point will probably be iOS developers who want to bring their apps to the Mac, but find that it's very confusing because there's a whole different paradigm yep. over there. Guess what? There isn't now. Yay! Um, that may be that may be the sales pitch, regardless of how many people actually uh, pick up that sales pitch. It may end up being that it's a lot of people who just the people who care about the Mac who look at that and say, "Okay, well, I'm gonna. This is where they're going, so I'm gonna go there." Um, but we'll we'll see but i think that's the most likely thing is it'll be a developer message and it's not going to be that apple is suddenly injecting um ios apps into into 10.14 yeah and uh, i i think the key thing now is to see which one of us will pick this in the draft in, the, in, our, in our keynote wwc keynote draft sure yeah that'll yep, be we'll see th- th- there's some many options to choose from too so that'll be good all right today's show is also brought to you by fresh books 
Freelancers, you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business. And in my opinion, there is no smarter decision than signing up for FreshBooks. They can save you real time with their cloud accounting software. They say they save you up to 192 hours. It's a very specific number. They've done a lot of testing. Because by simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking your expenses, and then actually getting paid online, which can be tricky at times, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. It is, we are just starting a new year, which means we just had the end of a year. And the end of the year comes with it lots and lots of invoicing and financing questions. I had lots of them for people. People had lots of them for me. And with FreshBooks, everything was so easy for me to go in. When I had somebody say, oh, please send us all of the invoices that we have outstanding. It's so easy for me to go in, go to the person, download all their invoices, or I can send them to them via email again. Super simple. Or if I sent some, you know, if I was uh, wondering if somebody's looked at an invoice, I was like, oh, nearly the end of the year, have they looked at this invoice? I don't have to write them one of those. Hey, have you seen the invoice? I don't have to write that email. I just go to the invoice that I sent them and it tells me if they've opened it. It is as simple as that. And then if I don't want to have to send those chasing reminder emails, FreshBooks will do it for me. If you're listening to this and you ever send invoices or track expenses and you've not yet tried FreshBooks, please give it a try. They are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial to listeners of this show. There's no credit card required to go and try it out. You just have to go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and then to upgrade in the how did you hear about us section. It is that simple. We thank FreshBooks for their continued support of this show. Trust me on this one. Try them out. It is awesome. Thank you, FreshBooks. All right, so it is time for us to return to hashtag ask upgrade. Hooray, we're back. Rajiv asks, is there a shortcut of any kind on the Apple TV remote to mute the television audio? <laughs> this is like the only thing that, you, that uh, an Apple TV user needs the, a regular remote for, right? Like I could watch all of my television just using the Apple TV remote except for something like muting. Yeah. I don't think there is. I think it's mashing the down button until it's or quiet like or pressing pausing. and holding and eventually it will go down. If there is some magical command, I've yet to come across it. I don't, I don't think that exists. It's just a shame. Mark asks, can you recommend a charging station that can handle three or four USB devices or cables at a time? So I'm not completely sure what Mark means by charging station, but I have a product that I think will probably suffice, which is uh, something that Anchor makes. And they make a couple of different versions of this, some that have USB-C mm -hmm. and some that don't. Uh, but I use it. It is the Anchor 6-port USB wall charger. You just plug one of these into a power outlet and you get six USB cabled to like, well, USB ports that you can plug cables into. Uh, this is part of my permanent travel kit. Yep. Whenever I'm traveling, I typically need at least three USB cables, right? Like I need one for my iPhone, one for my Apple Watch, and one for my iPad. And to carry around three different adapters, all with different, like, um, country adapters and all of the cables is too much i just have one little kit that has one of these anchor things and the three cables and a us or europe power adapter and i'm good to go big fan of this product yeah i did for a while until actually we got iphone 8 and iphone 10 and switched to um, wireless charging 
the, the inductive charging pads. Um, before that, we actually had a um, uh, uh, we re- I replaced one of the outlets in our wall with one that is a four USB outlet instead. Oh, nice! Instead of plugs, it just was four USB, and we used that for a while. Um, but uh, I, I'm not using that anymore because we're back to that. But I have that I have that anchor thing and it is part of my travel kit when i travel and it otherwise it's actually by my bedside so that i can charge my ipad and kindle and apple watch overnight i i use that rather than having three separate plugs they're all plugged into the anchor scott asks jason what standing desk do you use and what arm do you have your imac on uh (laughs) i am looking excuse me while I search my own site, because the answer is uh, there's an article called What's on My Desk on Six Colors that I wrote uh, in 2014. And it details everything that's on my desk, including um, I bought a, uh, a desk from it's a vert desk from Beyond the Office Door. The wire cutter raved noticeably cheap. <laughs> <laughs> uh but lex friedman had one and, and he uh and it's a convertible standing sit sitting desk and so he recommended it to me if i were buying it today i would not buy this desk uh because there are nicer desks and i was buying it thinking it might be a home office or it might be my workspace and here i am three years later and i'm still using it i wish it was a little bit bigger i do wish it was a little bit nicer but it's fine um and it came with an arm uh, which is the Hover Series 2 from a company called Right Angle. It was it was just sort of bundled with a desk. And it, it supports weight up to like 24 pounds or something like that. So it supports an iMac just fine. Um, so that's what I use. But I also recommend the wire cutter. They have some nicer choices um, than this one. This one's okay. But I would probably buy. I've actually thought about, now that I'm in here all the time, I've thought about replacing this with another desk. And we're about to go visit my father-in-law down in la and he has a an adjustable sit stand desk um and he bought the wire cutters selection and it's really nice so i'm going to spend a, a few days down there looking at that and that may tempt me but um but i i do like the adjustable desk um and i really like having my monitor or in this case imac on an arm because it gives me the entire desk space to put stuff on instead of working around and the uh, with that stand on the iMac it kind of blocks it's low it blocks what's behind it and uh i i use this iMac Pro for a week ish with uh just with a, the normal stand and i hated it it reminded me once again of why i i prefer the arm plus you can like just make the screen higher or lower or tilt it or whatever and that's actually kind of nice so those are my answers but just check out the uh what's on my desk story it's more or less accurate even now right down to the um right down to the ipod hi-fi that i still the use and the, orange, and the orange brain the microphone is not is the same that's true it's it's back it's my old setup look at that with the yeti and the little pop filter oh, no good times all right uh todd asks any guess as to why apple doesn't offer free trial versions of logic pro and final cut how do they expect to bring in new users my answer to this jason is i think that the free versions of logic pro and final cut a garage band and iMovie. Yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. I think this is, I have heard in the last month or two from a couple people who said, I read your stuff about Logic and then I found out that the only way for me to try Logic is to buy it and I'm just going to buy it. I'm just going to go try this other thing and use it instead. And 
I think they make a good point. I think it's stupid that Apple doesn't offer a trial. Well, but they can't now because they're app store apps. Well, that's right. That's why. I mean, that's I, the technical reason in my for why response, it doesn't happen. In re- my response to one of those people, I literally used the phrase hoist on their own petard because that is what's happened here is Apple Apple made the rules and now they have to live by the rules and that mm-hmm. means no free trials. Now, I, what I would argue is maybe Logic and Final Cut should be free with in-app purchase <laughs> or they should be a subscription app. It wouldn't surprise me. Can they can you do subscription apps on the Mac yet? If you if they if they I introduce don't that so. if they if they introduce that that'll be the first thing that they do, right? Uh, but I think they like that it's a differentiator and that they're competing against products that have subscriptions and they don't. But um, I will note, like just just as a point, I mean, this doesn't make it better, but they brought the price down significantly yeah. when they put those in the app store. They were yeah. like three or four times at least more expensive than they oh, yeah. are now. No, they're 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 way cheaper um, than than they were. Logic used to be like seven hundred dollars or something. Yeah. But still, I, I think this is a good point, which is it's very hard to commit to a brand new pr- piece of professional software sight yep. unseen. It is. It, t- it took me a while to... But yeah, it's like, you know, I, I think... You're right, though. GarageBand is essentially a cut-down version of Logic. It's just it so cut down. It and, is. And, uh, it's the way you learn. Is sort you know, of it's, it's where you learn, and then you can make the jump. But, like, the the real, like, you know, non-tongue-in-cheek version, the real reason is because Apple cannot give you a free version if they want to put it in the App Store. Because I would also expect that those applications are so complex, especially Logic, that trying to break stuff out into in-app purchase is, will probably be impossible at this point without a significant under like a rewrite of the underpinnings of the application. So it must be just layers and layers of old code now, surely. And Final Cut maybe a bit newer. They maybe could have done it there, but they decided not to. Jordan asked, final question today, how do you guys wake up your iPhone 10? Do you raise to wake? Do you tap on the screen? Or do you use the side button? Jason? I generally raise to wake. Raise, it sees me, flip, I'm in. Generally, okay. that's what happens. Sometimes yep. I will tap to wake. If it's already in my hand, I don't lower it and then raise it again. I will tap it. But um, uh, generally, that's what I use is raise to wake. I use uh, raise to wake and I use tapping a lot more than I expected. Uh, like my phone's kind of just on the desk or it's like on the sofa next to me yeah. and I'm like playing a video game and I just tap it. And you know what I've realized I've started doing in the last few days? Can you guess what I'm doing? Tapping on your iPad? Tapping on my iPad. <laughs> it's really <laughs> me annoying. Me too. I I'm like, hey, tap, tap, let's tap, tap, tap Hey, buddy, what are you doing? Oh, I don't yep. know where, Mike, I don't know where to slide to get control center anymore. I'm, I, I, I can't I'm tell you how many okay times I, that. I pull down notifications that are on my iPad and I'm like, why is this? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That doesn't happen to me as much as, as other people. Um, it does happen. I do do it. But like most yeah. of the time, I know where I'm going. All right. If you want to submit a question for Ask Upgrade, just send a tweet with the hashtag Ask Upgrade and we will provide, hopefully, a good answer for you at the end of the show or an answer. Good, maybe, an answer. Probably. Uh, if you want to find us online, there's a few places you can do that. You can go uh, to at jsnell on Twitter. You can go to sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com, or relay.fm slash shows. Jason hosts a great selection of shows here at Relay FM, uh, including Liftoff and Free Agents and Download, um, as well as Upgrade. So you can go and check those out. Um, I am at iMike, I M Y K E, and I host a lot of shows at Relay FM. 
Um, go to Relay.fm slash shows. Find something new. I bet there's going to be something in there that you will enjoy. Thanks to Squarespace and FreshBooks and Mission U for their support of this show. And we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Happy New Year, everybody.